I try to do at least two book studies a year. I try to grab one from the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you remember earlier this year, we went through the book of Daniel. If you remember last year about this time, we went through the book of Ephesians. I think what I'd like to do is uh, my thoughts are to go and start with the book of 2 Corinthians. One of the reasons why I chose this book is we've just been through a series of four messages on the local church. 1 Corinthians was a book study we did, and I thought it was just a couple years ago when I looked at my notes. It was six years ago. You blink and it goes by. But what my thinking was is that letter to the 1 Corinthians was a very hard letter written by Paul to a church that was, the best way to describe them is they were immature. And they wrote, and he wrote to them at this immature church, and it was a harsh letter. And this second letters of 2 Corinthians, best I can tell by the language in chapter 9 and chapter 10, it was about one year later. So this is a follow-up to a very hard letter. Now, I got to admit, <clears throat> when I, I've done my typical way when I do a book study, what I try to do is I try to power read the entire book and not get distracted by chasing rabbits or interesting thoughts. And I try to power through it because I want to get the overall message. And I do that at least a dozen times. A lot of times it's even more than that. And I got to admit, what I read surprised me. It's not what I expected. I kind of expected, I've done a similar thing with First and Second Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians... Paul was bragging on that church, and he says, guys, your, your faith is phenomenal, your charity is phenomenal. It's so good that, you know, your witness goes out into other areas, so when I get there to preach, I don't even need to preach. You've been so great. But he also said something else in 1 Thessalonians. He says, you know that faith that's so phenomenal? I want you to crank it up a notch. And he says, you know that love you're showing towards the brethren? I want you to crank that up a notch. So we go to 2 Thessalonians, and right there in the first couple verses, he said, you did it. I raised the bar on you, and you did it. And he went on and bragging on them. And at the very end of that second epistle, he says, now, you guys, some of you are a little bit lazy. So it was just keep on working on them. So that was what I thought second letters to churches are supposed to be. So I read 2 Corinthians. This is the one following up after a hard letter. And it's not what I expected. It's, not, it's unlike anything Paul has written anywhere else. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. I've been <clears throat> trying to think of an illustration, and I thought of this one. Uh, I don't know. A, a couple weeks ago, we had a time of socializing here at the church, and different people were sitting in the, the lunchroom, and there were, there were different games were going on, and and what happened was, is uh, there was four of us guys were sitting here, and we decided to play a game of cards. There was uh, my son and Danny and James, and we decided to play hearts. Now, over the years, we played hearts a lot in my house, especially when the boys were still at home. 
I like that game. It, it forced you to think and use reasoning and count cards. All good exercises to exercise your brain. It gave you flexibility so you could play with four, five, or six. And seven's awkward, but you can play with seven people. So in a family of five children, it was, it was kind of nice to do. But Danny and, um, and James had not played that game before. So we played very slowly. We played open hands, explaining the rules, a little bit of the strategy. But I got to admit, after playing with my kids for years, I'm a very aggressive card player. Okay? And it was funny, as we were playing a couple hands in, after showing them the, the James and Danny the rules, a couple, they made some plays that weren't on top of it, but that's what you expect from any beginner. And I didn't jump on him. And Lincoln looked at me and he smiled. And he says, that looks like dad, and it sounds like dad, but he's not playing like dad, okay? It's not what he expected. Well, that's what I feel like when I read 2 Corinthians. It looks like Paul, it sounds like Paul, but that's not Paul, okay? So when we go through this book, there's some things in there that are really kind of different. And I called a couple preacher friends of mine and Asked them the questions, and one of one of one I respect is Brother Hoppywalks, who came and preached for us about this time last year. He says, "You know what? I've done every church epistle except that one." He says, "That one's bugged me too." So we had a really good conversation. But but, but anyway, my point is, is it's different. So when we read it and we come through it, it's different. The things in there. Now I'm used to Paul writing a certain way. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, somewhere around verse 13, 14, he was tough on them, and he says, I thank God I baptized none of you. Wow, how's a preacher supposed to preach like that? That's what he did. In the beginning of chapter 4, somewhere around verse 3 and 4, he's saying, you know what? I really don't much care about people judging me. The only one I'm worried about is God judging me. So he's got this real determined aspect, and that's what I've come to appreciate in Paul. But this epistle is not like that. So what I would like to do is spend today talking a little bit about an introduction. There's many of you that weren't even here six years ago, and they don't remember many of that. And, and in my own mind, even go over the notes myself, there's a th- couple things where I had to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I'm going to do is, believe it or not, when we start this book, in a little bit, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I feel like that'll be a good introduction. And you'll probably be looking at your Bible and thinking, this, chap- this book is seven or 13 chapters long, and you're going to use seven as the introduction? And the answer is yes. I told you this epistle was written a little bit different. This is the response of a one year later to a hard letter. And chapter 7 talks about the hard letter Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, so that's what I'm going to do to launch. But before we do that, I want to take a step back and give a great big overall view of 1 Corinthians, because I think that'll be the framework we need to launch into what Paul may or may not be doing in 2 Corinthians, okay? So given that, I'm going to be testing, dusting off the cobwebs. When I read 1 Corinthians, I likened it to an interaction with a doctor. 
Okay? And basically what I said is chapters 1 through 11 was the physical. You know when you get a physical and something's wrong with you and you go to the doctor and maybe he'll take some blood work and maybe he'll put the the scopes on you. Maybe they'll take MRIs or they'll see CAT scans. They'll, They'll do all the tests and try to figure out what's going on. And then after they do all the tests and they get the information, he makes a diagnosis. And basically, 1 through 11 was all the things that was wrong with that church. And the diagnosis is, y'all are immature. Okay? Now, chapter 12 is is interesting. I'll give you another illustration. Back in my 30s, I played hockey. I still played hockey in my 30s. Mid-30s is when I finally gave it up. And the last time I ever played, I got dumped head over, she- head over heels and I landed on my shoulder. And I ended up in the emergency room with a separated shoulder. And I was sitting there in the emergency room on the bench. And back then when they did the, you sat on a bench, they had these rolls of paper that went out and covered the thing. And after you left, they tore it off and rolled it out and put another piece of paper. Remember that? Well, the doctor looked at me, took all the pictures, and this is what he did. He took out his pen and he started writing on the bench where that paper was. And he drew a picture of a dislocated shoulder. He drew a picture of a separated shoulder. And then he drew a picture of a functioning shoulder. Okay? He was a good doctor. He was a teaching doctor. And he explained what I needed. Well, in my mind... What Paul's doing is basically in chapters 1 through 11, he says, you're a dislocated church. And in chapter 14, he says, this is what a separated church looks like. And in chapter 12, he's saying, this is what a functioning church looks like. Okay? So when I read this, chapter 12 says, what a church should do. And then we get to chapter 13. Everybody knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is? That's the what chapter? The love chapter, right? Did you know that's the prescription? And we're going to spend some time talking about that. And then we go on to chapter 15 and 16, and that's the prognosis with and without the medication. Okay? So if you don't take the medication, this is what's going to happen. And if you do take the medication, this is what's going to happen. Okay? So that's kind of the overall picture. Let's go take a look at this. Here's the physical. And I'm not going to go through all this. We did this six years ago. And if you weren't here and say, Brother Dolph, you want the notes? I'll go print them off. I don't know. I can't remember how many weeks we went. I think probably about a chapter a week. So we spent nearly three or four months on that book. But basically, in chapter one, they had a problem with preacher worship. Chapter two, there was a problem if it were not for God. Chapter three is... Basically, he had to remind them we're role players. We're not the stars. We're all role players. Number four was ministers are servants. Five was their tolerance problem. Six, they were litigating with one another. Seven, they had lust and marriage problems. Eight, they were arguing about personal liberties. Nine was self-discipline. Ten was idolatry. And eleven was submission. Man, what a church, huh? But they were God's children. So they, he took all the blood tests, he, he, he put the thing on their heart, and he listened to their heart, and the blood pressure cuff on there, and he did all that, and he says, my conclusion, my diagnosis for you is you're immature. 
So he went and he got the little paper out and he was writing on the, the piece of paper and he says, chapter 12, this is what a good church should look like. Okay? And we actually been through that pretty good. So you're selfish, you're argumentative, you're overconfident, and you're naive. A good church isn't any of those things. And I think chapter 12 describes that. And we went over that, I think it was two Sundays ago, the body. Then I want to go over here. And I want to look at chapter 12 real quick. And he spends the first 20 verses talking about how the gifts are distributed among gods. He gives different gifts to different individuals in different amounts. The offices of the church are filled by God. There's different administrations, different individuals, and everything is for his glory. And then chapter 31, it says, covet a job well done. Don't covet the job covet a job well done. That's what a church should be like. But I want you to notice something in 1 Corinthians 13. God just didn't write this letter to an epistle and say, by the way, I'm going to give you something to put into weddings. Okay? This is the wedding passage, right? No, this is the prescription for an immature church. And notice how it starts off in verses 1 through 3. Basically, 1 through 3 is a summary of all the wrongs that were in chapters 1 through 11. Notice it. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, though I have all faith. You know what? That's what they thought they were. First, in the first Corinthians, he bragged on them. He says, your knowledge is fantastic. When it concerns spiritual gift, you're second to none to any other New Testament church, but you're immature. So when we read this charity chapter, basically he's given a broad stroke and says, yeah, you got all these things, but when you have all these things and you don't have charity, you're not worth anything, Okay. This, is, this, this chapter 13 is for this Corinthian church. Can I take it and apply it to the marriage between Deborah and I? Absolutely. But that was not his primary meaning. It's the prescription to an immature church, to a self-confident church. Verse three, 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He's describing the first Corinthian church. He's summarizing chapters 1 through 11. It's the prescription to the diagnosis. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, notice what it says in 4 through 7. Here's the medicine. Here's the medicine this church needs to take. Charity suffereth long, is kind, it envieth not. Charity wanteth not herself, is not puffed up. Those are the Corinthians. Yes? It doth not believe itself, it doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. There's chapter 5, 6, and 7. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, that's chapter 5, and rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. There's chapter 9, 10, 11. Got it? Okay, so he's given them the medicine for this immature church. Okay, and here's the rest of the chapter. 
and uh, oh, I don't know. This this overview is taking a little longer than I hope, but I guess it's profitable. Chapter thirteen, verse eight: Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Think about that. What Paul's telling this church is there's prophecy and there's tongues, and he says there's going to come a time when you're not going to have that. But you know what? You're always going to have charity. That thing is not going to time warp on you, right? It's not going to expire. It's not going to run out. You're always going to have that. Ten, but when that which is perfect is come, then which is part shall be done away. When, a, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as even as I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, ha- these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Take your medicine, church. That's basically what he's saying to these Corinthians. You know what that medicine is? It's charity. And this is the things we've got to take. You know what's going to fix all those things in chapters 1 through 11? Charity. That's what's going to do it. Okay? All right. It's pretty good, huh? So we'll go to the prognosis. That's basically chapters 14, 15, and 16. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail there. But chapter 14 is a lot of spiritual gifts. But I want you to notice when you read that, the first and foremost priority is the edification of the church. That's what the gifts are for. It's not for the puffing up of self. It's not for the patting yourself on the back of how much scripture you memorize or how much you know or how much you can quote. About who's the best giver, who's the best inviter, who's the best converter. That's not what it is. The goal is the edification of the church. Now, you can go about it with your medicine charity or you can go about it without your medicine charity and there's going to be a big difference in the outcome. Okay, so that's a great big overall message of 1 Corinthians, the, the epistle of 1 Corinthians written to this church. It was a hard letter. Okay, are, are we good? Okay, so now there's a bunch of stuff in chapter, or in, in 2 Corinthians. Now, I'll tell you what, I, I've been, I was a little bit excited because I, I hope I don't sound irreverent when I say this because Part of me, part of me gets frustrated with what I call soundbite preaching. You know what soundbite preaching is? There's a lot of really rich and good verses in Second Corinthians soundbites we use all the time. Here, let me read a couple of these. First Corinthians five seven says we walk by faith and not by sight. How many times do we quote that? Do you know what's above it and below it? Y'all, that's kind of important. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin for us who knew no sin. Praise the Lord, amen? amen? Do you know what's above it and below it? That's kind of important. How about this one in 6.14? Be not unequally yoked. Have you ever quoted that? Yeah. Do you know what's above it and below it? It's kind of important, right? 
How about this? To all nine, my grace is sufficient for thee. Do you know what's above it and below it? That's kind of important. So every once in a while we get in a situation and we quote something to someone, but we've got to make sure it's in context. Amen? And my last one is, when I am weak, then I am strong. Sounds like a bunch of double talk, right? Not unless you know the context. Amen? Okay. I hope I got your attention. Now, <sighs> this group of people, Paul said, I thank God I baptized none of you. Now, moxie on a guy to say that, right? It's because there was no charity. Got it? So one year later, he writes, and we're going to go to chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles and you want to jump open to there, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 7, and that's going to be the rest of the message for today. This is an introductory lesson into the whole book. And, and, and I think I've, I've told you <clears throat> before I, I, I do a study, this is, this is my practice. No one ever, uh, I don't know anybody that does this, any other preacher friends of mine, but, but what I'll do is I've got a, I got a Bible in my office that's in a three-ring binder. And what I'll do is I'll take out the, the book I'm going to read, and this time it was 2 Corinthians, and I'll put it on the copy machine, and I'll make several copies. And here's three of them, and I'll grab them, and I'll read them with a color, a handful of colored highlighters. And I'll read, I'll read the chapter many times, and then I'll notice themes. And one of the themes, this is the one I, theme I noticed when I had an orange highlighter in my hand, and it was the sufferings Paul incurred. Now, I think everybody's familiar with the one in chapter 12 or chapter 11 where he says, I was shipwrecked and I was beaten and I was stoned and all that, I was, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's one of them. But this suffering goes from chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book, and it's mentioned often. I go, Paul, why are you doing that? time I read the, with this yellow one, you know what the theme that hit me is Paul was justifying his ministry. I'm thinking, Paul, you don't need to justify your ministry. He started more churches in the Middle East than everybody else put together. You wrote most of the New Testament. Amen? You got more sons in the ministry than anybody else. What do you have to justify your ministry? Yeah, but he was doing it. See, it's, it's like Lincoln looking at me saying, Ted's playing cards and he's playing defense. That's not my dad. My dad plays cards offensively. Well, I'm reading Paul. Paul doesn't play defense, but he wrote First Corinthians and or Second Corinthians in defense. It's just it was just different. This one is all the warnings about being deceived. Lots of them throughout the whole book. So what I'm telling you is when I read Second Corinthians, it's not what I expected. And the reference to the first epistle, it didn't even show up to chapter seven. So that's why we're reading chapter seven first. And then we'll go back and read the rest of the book. So let me do this. <coughs> it's only about 16 verses. I'll tell you what, let me read the whole chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we'll double back and just make a few comments. Okay. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man, 
See, here's part of Paul defending himself, but we're going to hit that on another day. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before, this is the first Corinthians, that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorifying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Verse 5. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So let me, I'll tell you what's coming up. Paul had preached to this church. He fully intended on doubling back and seeing how they were doing, but he got other preaching appointments and God was leading him in the other direction. So he sent Titus to this church. So Titus went to the church and Titus came back and met Paul again and Titus gave Paul a report of how the church was doing. So he's getting this report back and after getting this report back from Titus, he writes this epistle one year later. Okay, Verse 7. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, that's 1 Corinthians, I do not repent, though I did repent. Paul, you sound schizophrenic there, right? For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it was for a, but for a season. So in other words, he wrote this really hard letter called 1 Corinthians to this church. And after he sent it off, he says, wow, what's going to happen? Are they going to rebel? Are they going to take it? They're going to do it? What are they going to do? And I don't know. And I want to go back and see how they're doing, but I can't get there. I know I'll send my son in the ministry, Titus. So he sent son in the ministry, Titus. Titus goes to him. He, he, he sees how they're doing. He listens to him. He preaches with him. He fellowships with him. He goes back and he reports to Paul. And he says, guess what? They repented. They did it. And the fact is, is that Titus, when he went there, because he knew all the background, he knew why he was going there. As he went to this church, he got there and he saw what they were doing. He saw they were repentant. He saw they made the changes and he got slap happy excited. And Paul got slap happy excited because Titus was slap happy excited. He was excited. Fantastic. Okay. Verse 8, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. I think Paul was saying, you know, it was truth. But even as a pastor, even when you're telling someone the truth, whether it be uh, in a church or maybe it's your own biological child, when you're telling your children something hard, you know deep down that it's God's word, but it's still not fun. Amen? It's not fun. Verse 9. Verse 9. Still in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. <clears throat> now I rejoice, not that ye were sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. So yeah, when I sent it off, it kind of made me sad having to say those tough things. 
But I sure am glad I sent them to you. Because short term, it was painful. Long term, it's God's glory. And we're going for the long term. Amen? For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, talking about being sorry, think about it. You got the two little children, and they get in a fight, say, you're sorry, I'm sorry, you go away. That didn't really do anything, did it? But you're talking about godly sorry, where not only do you say you're sorry, but you actually make changes in your life so that it doesn't happen again. That has long-term lasting effects that are very profitable. Verse 11, For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. Verse 12. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that done the wrong. Now, I don't know if you remember what happened in 1 Corinthians. There was a man, this is all recorded around chapter 5. There was a man that ended up having a live-in situation with his stepmom. Evidently, his dad died. He was living with his stepmom. It was in a very open way, cohabitating. And Paul says, you got to take care of this matter. And Paul's saying right here, I didn't write it because of him. I wrote it because of you. Why would he do that? You think he's going to get cooties from him? No, that's not what it is. He wrote it because of you. This church was puffed up in their quote-unquote tolerance. That's why he wrote it unto them. Um, Let me read this again, 12. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, no, for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. You know, by taking care of this discipline matter, there's going to be a peace in the church that you need. That's hard to understand, isn't it? Okay? Verse 13. Did the man that committed the sin, did he gain benefit from the confrontation? The answer is absolutely yes. When we go to this book, we find out in chapter 2 that Paul says, this man that you put out of the church, he's walking straight, bring him back in. Don't let him get overcome with the sorrow. That's what he said. Okay? So benefit did come to the man, but he said, that wasn't my primary objective. My primary objective was you, the church. Verse 13. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by y'all. Paul said... I heard you did well, and that made me happy. But what made me happier was how happy Titus came back. Got it? Verse 14. For if I have boasted in anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, 
even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found in truth. This is 14. This sounds funny. But he says, you know what? Before I sent Titus to you, I bragged on y'all. And he came back. And you know what? My bragging was spot on. That made me happy. That's what he's saying. Verse 15. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you. He's talking about Titus now. And he remembereth the obedience of you all and how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. So he writes this church, and it's a pretty good compliment. It's, 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 it's very encouraging. He says, I wrote you a hard letter, and you, were, you responded well to the hard letter. And it, there's a part of me... Now, I hope you understand, I believe Second Corinthians was recorded in the canon of scriptures for us and there's a benefit to us. But in my minute brain, I kind of wish he just wrote chapter 7 and left all the rest off. Because what's going to come out of chapter 7, I'll give you the sneak preview, is all the second doubting that a preacher and a pastor go through. All the second guessing all the justifying, all the doubt. Paul's going to go through that. And we go, but he was Paul. But he still did it. He was still a man. Amen? He was still a man. So we're going to read about his thoughts and his processes in going through that. I hope you're encouraged to read Second Corinthians the next week. We'll be in it for several weeks. I don't think I'm going to go through verse by verse like we've done other books, like we did through Ephesians. Uh, there was a couple years ago we went through the book of First John and we did not go verse by verse. We took themes. I think I'm going to go through this book by themes as we find a theme that spreads all the way through this particular book and what's going on in Paul's mind. Maybe it'll help you. Um, in that day when it comes time to looking for someone that, that may be coming down the road to fill this pulpit, you will know what a pastor thinks and what he goes through. I'll let Paul speak as opposed to what I speak. Uh, hopefully that'll stick better and that'll give you more confidence that that's truth and what preachers go through in all this. So with that being said, I think we'll call it a day. Um, I'm actually... There's a part of me that's uncomfortable with this book because it's so different. But there's another part of me that likes a challenge and likes to try to figure out stuff that's really hard and there's a sense of accomplishment when you finally get it and see how it applies to my life but I'm a scared too I'm a scared that you know I'm, I'm teasing the little ones now I'm afraid that it might show more up in me than I care to admit and it might reveal some things in me that uh, maybe I didn't see and Paul will state it more clearly so We'll explore this adventure together over the next month or two. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.